Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> that would have been a big fail with Audacity starting, but it's not recording things. So. Okay. All right. Good evening. I'm tired too, but we are, um, you know, it's always worth it still to be a Bible study and to have it. And uh, good to see you all here this evening. We're going to uh, look at Deuteronomy, the 12th chapter tonight. Um, I'm taking a deep breath. Had a good day at work, busy day at uh, at work, but uh, glad to be always at church studying the Bible together. I had a chance to read this chapter last night and study over it while we were. My friend and I were talking to Bob last night for a little while. We praying for, praying for ABCs. Lot lot going on there. Uh, and of course, Bob and Mary to Marianne. We're gonna go visit with them next week. But uh, I want to keep ABC in our prayers for their uh, their church family. So we have a have a lot going on. I, I, I told Francis I could hear it in Bob's voice, although he didn't he didn't say anything. You just you could just hear the the uh, concern. So we want to continue to pray for. ABC. Just pray for all of our churches. Uh, pastors have to deal with a lot, <laughs> and uh, so we we pray pray for and encourage each other, and uh, continue to pray for me too. I have to deal with a lot, uh, and our other brothers and sisters, uh, elders at our other uh, churches, Field and uh, Carlton and Company at Grace and. Uh, a lot goes on behind the scenes that that people don't uh, parishioners don't always always see. So just continue to pray for the faithful brethren in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we we appreciate coverage of prayers as as we say. So we're in Deuteronomy 12 tonight. Uh, this I think chapters 12 through 26 is like the second section, the second sermon, so to speak. Uh, where it gets into the worship of God and then th into the uh, the laws. Um, so this this second section is the second major section. Uh, chapters 1 through 11 is kind of set up and then 12 begins uh, the section of worship and uh, the different commands and laws uh, that Israel are to follow as they prepare to go into the promised land. So let's uh, let's pray right quick and ask for the Lord's help. Father, we come to you tonight first, thanking you for the grace of being here at Bible study, being uh, able to study your word uh, publicly. And Lord, we ask for your help tonight. I ask for your help and, and strength. I'm, I'm tired in body, but my soul is refreshed um, because we get to study your word together. So Lord, I pray that by your spirit you energize us uh, revive us uh, this midweek uh, refresh us encourage us in the spirit teach us Lord your word and give us a heart uh, to live by your word help us tonight Lord to see good gospel principles gospel implications as we look at our text tonight and those who are watching 
uh, on uh, our, our Facebook live stream. Uh, bless them also. But send your spirit to illuminate these truths tonight that we are going to hear. In Christ's name, amen. So one of the main things of this chapter is proper worship. And this chapter deals with uh, how to worship God, where to worship God, and in, and in, yeah, and, and in what manner. And it's basically an expansion of the first commandment about having no other gods uh, before the Lord. That's that's what this chapter is in is an expansion of. And uh, some theologians have even said this uh, these this next section verses chapters 12 through 26 are basically an expansion of the Ten Commandments are not necessarily in order. uh, But first, remember the Ten Commandments, the first four deal with um, our relation to God and how we are to worship God and serve God and then the last six deal with our relation to one another um, so this large section of the book uh, deals with worship toward God and then also expands into um, how they are to deal with each other as God's covenant people so we're going to look at as we always do section by section so just going to treat the first few verses here beginning at 12 and 1 it says these are the statutes and rules that you should be careful to do in the land that the Lord the God of your fathers has given you to possess all the days that you live on earth you shall surely destroy all the places where the nations whom you shall dispossess serve their gods on the high mountains and on the hills and under every green tree you shall tear down their altars and dash in pieces their pillars and burn their ashram with fire you shall chop down the carved images of their gods and destroy their name out of that place you shall not worship the Lord your God in that way but you shall seek the place that the Lord your God would choose out of all the tribes to put his name and make his habitation there there you shall go and there you shall bring your burnt offerings and your sacrifices your tithes and the contributions that you present your vow offerings your free will offerings and the firstborn of your herd and of your flock and there you shall eat before the Lord your God and you shall rejoice you and your households in all that you undertake in which the Lord your God has blessed you so this chapter uh, basically uh, starts off with establishing uh, the proper, full, and exclusive way that God desires uh, to be worshipped. And so God is prescribing uh, the activities of worship in this chapter. So he begins by saying these are the, the statutes and rules. And um, these are the two main sections of stipulations that you'll see throughout this book as we've seen God's statutes and God's rules or God's commands and the first one and and, and again they're on the cusp of going to the promised land so God has given them this as they get ready to go into the land now if you're reading with us through uh, we read through Joshua now in the book of Judges I think I read Judges the 8th chapter this morning Uh, you know uh, God using Gideon in in chapter 7 and 8 to defeat the Midianites and at the end of chapter 8 it said again that Israel had forgotten 
the Lord. It happened with Joshua died. It happened after Deborah. Uh, after Deborah died, it was peace for 40 years. And then uh, after Gideon helped defeat the Midianites, they had peace for another 40 years until they did what? They forgot to obey the Lord. They turned away from God. So we're going looking back in Deuteronomy to see what God was doing in preparing them to go on the land. Then you're looking forward as we're reading through Joshua and Judges to see what Israel didn't do what they failed to do. So the reason why I bring that up is because God, for those 40 years, he, he strove with Israel, but he was still trying to, um, you know, show them what it meant to worship him and to obey him and the, the good things that would happen if they did because he made a covenant with them. But also the, the curses that came on them if they did not do it. But yet and still, what did they do? They disobeyed the Lord. This shows us uh, how our hearts are when it comes to uh, worshiping and, and obeying God. The law could not change their hearts. The law is more of a schoolmaster or a tutor, but the law could not change their hearts. They, they kept constantly getting it. They had two renderings of the Ten Commandments. You know, the older generation got it in the book of Exodus as is chronicled. And the younger generation we saw in the book of uh, Deuteronomy, the one that was going to the promised land, they heard the same thing. So, I mean, some of them probably heard it twice. Uh, first time when they were younger and now that they're older, 40 years later, they're hearing the same commandments. But yet and still, what happens when they go into the promised land? They still fail to uh, obey God. But God still loves them and gives them these commandments uh, that they are to do when they go in and possess the land. So first he says, verse two, um, it's a commitment to worship him and him alone as God. You shall surely destroy all the places where the nations whom you shall dispossess serve their gods on the high mountains, on the hills and under every green tree. When I was reading this last night, the first thought that came to my mind is that Canaan was infested with idolatry. There were signs of idol worship everywhere they pretty much laid their feet. Everywhere their, their feet trotted, uh, Israel, everywhere their feet trotted, there were idols in, in high places. Uh, this was a highly pagan nation. It's like when Paul in Acts 17, when he went uh, down to the uh, Areopagus and, and he saw the, the temple to Diana. And, uh, you know, he saw these people very religious. Uh, and there was one a shrine to the unknown God. And, and, of course, God, Paul presented them that God that they were talking about. It was the Lord Jesus Christ. But the point is, he saw idolatry everywhere when he went into, into this city. And when Israel was going to Canaan, they saw all these idols. They saw all these astropoles and, and all this pagan worship, all this sacrificing of their children. They, they, they were surrounded by idolatry. Isn't it the same way in our land now? We're surrounded with idolatry everywhere. You know, it's like I, I sent the text message out to the church. Uh, I think back on yesterday when I was reading this, I was just thinking about it like, man, throughout our whole week, we're just assaulted by the world, the influence of the world, the ideologies of the world. And, you know, I wish you for myself, it could just zap out of us, you know, when we, we come to church. But 
all of us come to church, whether it's on Wednesday night or Sunday morning, all of us come to church with a weeks full of worldly influence being thrown at us. You know, however we consume worldly influence, whether it's through television, whether it's through music we listen to, or co-workers that we work alongside, you know, we we are just bombarded with that, with that, with idolatry, with self-worship. And so we see this with Israel. So God told them in order to, in, in their context, in order for them to not be tempted to this pagan worship, God told them to destroy. I think some translations say utterly destroy. So it was supposed to be a complete annihilation of all these places. It, it wasn't to be, it wasn't partial. They had to utterly destroy uh, all the idols, all the, the high places. It was to be uh, complete. And God was doing this because he was setting up uh, a mandated uh, centralized worship. So they were to destroy the false worship sites and the objects. And God was using the strongest terms to utterly destroy all these places. Okay, surely, uh, the ESV says surely. Uh, the New King James, I think, says utterly. I think the NASB does also. But it, it's, it's given the same meaning as using very strong language. To surely destroy all the places. So you, you see the absolute word, all. Not some, not 90%, not 99%, not leaving any remnants of idolatrous worship. Where the nations whom you shall dispossess serve their gods. They didn't serve the God of Israel. They didn't serve Yahweh. They served their own false gods. In the mountains. And back during these days. I, I was reading about this. A, a lot of uh, pagans. Uh, pagan worship was done up in mountains. And catacombs. And different places like that. It was literally like the high places. You know up in the mountains. Up in the hills. Uh, that's where they put them so that they could be seen everywhere by by uh, their their worshipers. So that's why they uh, that's why they did that. And also, most of uh, these cities were in, in hills also. So these places were their worship centers. Basically, all these high places, all these places of idolatrous worship were their places of worship. And then under every tree. And God says you shall tear down their altars. And dash in pieces their pillars. That means just smash them to bits. Utterly destroy them. Burn them up. Burn their ashram with fire. These are ashram poles. Just, uh, just annihilate everything. And what this also had me thinking about was how hard it can be if we're in the throes of idolatry how difficult it can be to come out of idolatry it takes drastic measures to stop being an idolater it only it, it can only happen with a regenerated heart that a person can go from uh, worshiping uh, paganism pagan gods, secularism uh, Marxism, all those uh, worldviews, uh, atheistic worldviews. If you've been in that 40 years, 50 years, 
it takes some serious drastic action to get away from that or a person who worships themselves um it it it, it takes a lot because that's how dangerous idolatry is that's how dangerous idolatrous worship is and so God knew this with his people so he told them to in order to demonstrate this you have to eliminate the places of worship you have to eliminate all the paraphernalia that they use to uh, worship they had to destroy the false objects again the altars smash the sacred pillars burn the ashram with fire cut down the uh, engraving images of their gods and obliterate their name from that place why because God was establishing his name he was establishing his place of worship and the rejection of these deities uh, was their way of doing it they had to do this before they uh, possess the land because if not guess what they're going to become idolaters which they end up doing because they didn't destroy all the idols and it reminds me of uh, I referenced this before uh, when God used uh, the prophet Samuel to tell uh, King Solomon uh, when he went to war against the Amalekites to destroy all of them even the king King Agag don't spare anything and what did Solomon do? He spared the best of the sheep to make a sacrifice to the Lord, but he failed to fully obey God. And because of that, God took the kingdom away from him because that's how serious God was about obeying him and about worshiping him. And so it's the same thing with, with us. You know, we have to make sure with the spirit's help that we're not, giving in to idolatry but we are constantly um, you know in little ways I guess destroying the idols that we have in our own life so this is a question I want to ask us just something to think about amongst yourselves because we have to do a serious heart assessment about, about these things sometimes what are some idols or objects of worship that we struggle with in our own lives you know, John Calvin, the great reformer, said the heart is an idol factory or a factory of idols. Our hearts constantly manufacture idols. You know, we always talk about idol right here in our hands, right? And it was funny. I was, <laughs> I was uh, when I came to the office yesterday, there was three people sitting and waiting, uh, you know, to be seen and two on their phones and one was reading a book I said you're doing the right thing you're reading I, I just joking I said you're actually doing a good thing you're reading your book I said they're on their phones you know and these two people didn't know each other but it's like two on their phones and one reading a book I said you're being a good worshiper you know just being funny but but just think about it but anything can be an idol uh, craving a certain food can be idolatrous we have certain uh, habits that enslave us because of idolatry. Uh, alcoholism is idolatry. Uh, in any well, the world says addiction, but it's, it's not addiction. It's, it's a sin. Uh, any type of quote addiction is 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 idolatry. If you're addicted to drugs, cigarettes, alcohol, if you're addicted to uh, a, a adrenaline rush, you, you you know you like to drive fast because you like the way it makes you feel. That's, that's an idol. Some people are like that. They, 
they have a need for speed. You know, they, they, they get a rush by being too risky. That's an idol because you're finding your pleasure and satisfaction in whatever it may be besides God. Uh, for some people, power is an idol. Being in, in control, being in charge, being bossy. You know, that can be an idol because you crave that. You, you find your identity in being bossy. Uh, or being a control freak. We think that's a good thing, right? Yeah, I, I like to be in control. We say it like we're proud of it. <laughs> but it's actually pride. You know, it's, it's not humility. If you like being in, in control and you want everything to fall into place and just go your way, that's an idol. Idol, idolatry is basically like Tim Keller said, taking a good thing and making it a God thing, making it an ultimate thing. So if you're a control freak and you're in a situation where you're not in control, you just fall to pieces. You, you just like, you just can't, you just can't. I, I just can't, I just can't because you're not in control. So there are so many things, so many idols. There are millions of them. And so when we do, a, you know, as, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, examining ourselves, what are some things that idols that we know that we have in our life? And we need to what, tear them down, burn them up, get rid of them. It's, it's, a, it's a constant Christian struggle. We struggle against that because we don't want to be given in to those idols. Um, as long as we're in our sinful flesh, we're going to have those sinful desires and impulses. But we're not going to give in to them and, and live in them and, and, and constantly uh, commit that. We're going to always struggle on our knees against those things so that's that's a question that I, I, I just thought about uh, when I was studying yesterday just asking what are some false objects of worship that you know hoarding is idolatry I'm a hoarder I got clothes that I'm like yeah I'm gonna get into those when I lose weight you know I got those kind of clothes in my closet <laughs> I do just being transparent um that's idolatry. I got a more pair of shoes than I need. Why? Because I'm an idolater. <laughs> I got about 20 pairs of shoes, and I wear like five. <laughs> I mean, I wear some others on occasion, but I got too many pairs of shoes because I like shoes. I like dress shoes and stuff like that. But in a way, that's idolatrous because I, I feel like I have to have it when I really don't. Uh, you take my shoes away, we'll have a fight. <laughs> you know, so, but there are so many different idols. And what what does idolatry do? It takes us off of what worship of God. Looking to him for our sufficiency, looking to him for our identity, for our, our worth as uh, image bearers of, of him. So you see him telling Israel to do this. Why? Because God wants to be worshiped exclusively. He says, verse four, I like this, this verse. It says, you shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. In what way? The same way as the pagans. You know, you're not to worship God the way. Why? Because you are a, you're a called out people. God wants them to centralize their worship at the one place that he has chosen. They are to reject the idolatrous worship practices of the Canaanites. 
And this reminded me of the difference between covenant Israel and the the church as far as worship. So for the Christian, this principle of one uh, center of of true worship is correct. We do have a one uh, center of worship, and that is Jesus Christ. We don't have one place like Israel did, but their place of central worship is a picture of our worshiping of the one person, Jesus Christ. He says, you shall seek the place that the Lord your God will choose out of all the tribes to put his name and make his habitation there. There you shall go and there you shall bring your burnt offerings and your sacrifices, your tithes and contributions that you present, your vow offerings, your free will offerings, the firstborn of your herd and your flock. And there you shall eat before the Lord your God and you shall rejoice, excuse me, in your households and all that you undertake in which the Lord your God has blessed you. So this is God showing them the prescribed place of worship of him. Now, if you look throughout Israel's history as a nation, uh, they worshiped God when they uh, settled in Canaan. Uh, you, you'll see it in the book of Joshua, especially. They worshiped at Mount Ebal. I think they worshiped in Shechem. Uh, in, in the book of Joshua, I think Joshua toward the end, yeah. In uh, Shechem, they worshiped in Shiloh. Now, uh, Shiloh was the central place of worship through uh, all the book of Judges. So they had this, the central importance of worship of God in, in, in one place as a covenant people. Christians, you know, you look at John, the fourth chapter, Jesus with the Samaritan woman. Uh, at the well uh, Jesus told her that God is spirit and those who worship him must, must worship him in what is spirit and truth because the Samaritan woman was talking about where the Samaritans worship now when the kingdom was split into the northern kingdom worshiped in Samaria that's where their temple was and the southern kingdom their uh, place of worship was in Jerusalem so the, they had two different places of worship but God, Jesus was telling her, look, those who worship God, we don't have a central place of worship. We have a central person. Our worship is centered around who? Jesus Christ. He is the center of our worship. It's not a special place that we go to. It's not like you go, you know, like the um, Muslims, Islam. You know, it's, it's, it's commanded by them that at least once in their lifetime, they must make a pilgrimage to Mecca to go and to uh, worship there. That's, that, that's their one holy place. And, you know, the, the, the world, the secularists talk about Israel being the central place of worship for, uh, you know, Christians, so to speak. It is a, you know, they call them holy sites. So to speak, you know, you have the Vatican City for the Catholics, you have Mecca for the Muslims, and you have, I guess, Jerusalem for uh, the Jews, or in some some instances, some Christians think that you know I, I got to make it to Jerusalem at least one time, you know, uh, and it's okay to go there and visit and tour and see 
you know, biblical where biblical events happen. But that is not our place of worship. That's not a holy shrine type city where you're going to go there and get some type of ethereal out of body experience, you know, just by going to Israel. It's never on going to Israel and visit. I mean, when I was in the Navy, we went to Haifa, Israel, which was which is a resort city uh, on the Mediterranean. We never made it to, uh, you know, Jerusalem. I wasn't thinking about Jerusalem back then when I was in the Navy. Uh, but, you know, some people think that, you know, going to Israel is like some type of spiritual, you know, they go there to find themselves, so to speak. But our central person of worship is is Jesus Christ. And we're not commanded to make one pilgrimage in our lifetime to Jerusalem. In fact, the place where the temple used to be is the Temple uh, Mount of Islam, the Golden Dome. Is is built on the same grounds as the as the temple once was. The uh, Muslims uh, had uh, is, the Islamists had taken over uh, that land, and so they have their temple there in, in the same same city. Think about that. The seat of Judaism has a a Muslim temple there. That's something isn't that shows you how far uh, that that nation had fallen uh, after the first century. So, uh, but my point is, we as believers. We have one person who embodies the symbol of ancient Israel worship, and that is Jesus Christ. So this one central place of worship that God is talking about points to the one person to whom we worship, and that is uh, Jesus Christ. So then he goes and continues here in verse 8. You should not do according to all that we're doing here today. Everyone doing whatever is right in his own eyes. Hmm. Isn't that what they did in the book? Of, when you get to the book of Judges, I think the 17th chapter, you'll see that narrative where it says everyone did what was right in their own eyes. For you have not yet, not as yet rather, come to the rest and to the inheritance that the Lord your God has given you. But when you go over, to, uh, over the Jordan, and live in the land that the Lord your God is giving you to inherit. And when he gives you rest from all your enemies around so that you live in safety, then to the place that the Lord your God uh, would choose to make his name dwell there, there you shall bring all that I command you to burn offerings, the sacrifices, tithes, you know, so forth and so on. Verse 12, you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your sons and your daughters, your male servants, your female servants and the Levites that is within your town since he has no portion of inheritance with you. Take care that you do not offer your burnt offerings at any place that you see, but at the place that the Lord will choose in one of your tribes. There you shall offer your burnt offerings and there you shall do all that I am commanding you. Okay. So this part right here transitions to uh, once the land had entered the laws of worship, uh, are to be stricter. They're going to be more strict once they enter into the land. Right now they're not, but once they're in, they're going to be stricter. And the reason why is because, of course, God is separating his people out from all of the other nations. He's saying this because at this point, people are pretty much doing what they want to do in their own eyes. What is wrong with that? Why did God say that? Because when we are left to do 
things with our devices. What are we prone to do? Stray. We're prone to do any and every thing. We're prone to worship God any and every way. This reminds me of the uh, regulative principle of worship, which is what we, uh, you know, follow in, in the way that we worship God in church. Uh, some churches don't follow to a T, that's fine, but we have a prescribed way of worship. While we try to worship God according to what he has commanded in Scripture, we do have some liberties, but I like that better because it keeps us from getting into some wonky things. You see a lot of churches or so-called churches, if you see the way that they do worship, I'm like, ah, oh, that's not, I don't think that that's the way God desires to be worshipped. I think that having some type of order to it is is good. I think it's good in a way. Every church has a liturgy. Some of it is good liturgy and some is bad liturgy. Uh, but God was centralizing worship here. He did not want them to be left to their own devices. And we have to keep that in mind when we're, um, you know, worshiping God also in the context of public worship. And also in the context of our everyday life, uh, not worshiping God, just based upon how we feel or based upon how things make us feel or how songs make us feel or whatever. And I talk about this all the time. When, when we first uh, planted our church, we had a lot to learn. <laughs> I'm going to tell you some things we did. Let me go back in uh, history here just to make a point. One thing we did was, you know, when Mountain View had planted up here uh, with Matt Nelson and, and guys uh, up there behind the top of the river, me and Matt, real good friends. Mountain View followed the Word Alive model. Uh, I think Word Alive, they, they took a Sabbath month off, which was the month of July, which was the seventh month of the year. They didn't have church. They, they, they used that as a month for their church members to go spread out and go serve in the community, so to speak. And so that was the Word Alive model. And then when Mountain View Church planted, they did the same thing. And so, you know, we were kind of doing some things together with Mountain View. Mountain View actually gave us our first sound system, our first soundboard, and, and, and our first keyboard, I think. Uh, you know, they, they helped us out a lot financially, too. But they did the same thing. So what we started doing was, uh, what was it, Fran, taking fifth Sundays off? It was like four or five fifth Sundays a year, so we... We started, okay, we're going to take these fifth Sundays, and I think we went to a nursing home over there in um, Randolph Park area. Yeah, Wesley Park, uh, nurse uh, apartments over there in um, Randolph Park area. We said we, we'll start going over there every every fifth Sunday instead of having church at our church. You know, because we're trying to, you know, be seeker sensitive and do what, what some of the other churches were doing. And some of the songs we were singing were... Uh, <laughs> were uh, feel-good songs, but they were not gospel-centered, gospel-saturated uh, songs at all because, you know, we didn't know better at first. Um, but once um, I met Robert St. John for the first time um, and started meeting with those guys, it, it was back in about 2012 when we moved into this building right here. And I, I was all saying, hey, yeah, you know, Bob, we, you know, we, we, don't, we don't go to church on fifth Sundays. You know, I was all like excited about it. He said, he said, Ron, Sunday's the Lord's Day. You're, you're supposed to assemble to, you know, how Bob talk, you know, you're supposed to, you know, assemble together. You know, it, it is the Lord's Day and blah, blah, blah. He explained everything to me and 
you know, I was convicted and, uh, you know, talked to our church about it and everybody understood, which was good. But my point is we were worshiping God. We were doing what we thought was right now on our eyes. And we were following other churches, being very pragmatic, you know, uh, pr- giving into pragmatism and realized that, you know, we were not worshiping God as as it was uh, as it was prescribed in Scripture, you know, uh, forsaking the meat on the Lord's day and all those things. So it wasn't that it was wrong to go to the nursing home or we were in sin, but we could have done it on other days or something like that, like during the week. But the point is that we were doing what was right, what we thought was right in our own eyes as a church. Uh, until I learned better and, and learned more about the importance of the saints gathering and so forth and so on, especially coming out of a legalistic system that we were in. So we were trying to do things to be like secret friendly and stuff like that. Uh, but we, you know, I learned over time that there was a prescribed way to worship God, even in public worship. A lot of uh, churches, a lot of pastors uh, that I see in our area, especially, uh, are doing the same thing that we were doing when we started. I had a lot of, uh, what, three or four churches that planted around the same time we did, and they were doing the same thing. Um, they were following the, the different church planting trends of the of the 2010s, and only by only because of God's grace. Uh, we're one of the very few churches that planted during that time that are left standing only because of God not because of anything we've done uh, but most of those friends of mine that planted at the same time we did their, their churches end up folding because they, they had a and we had discussions about it they had a, a wrong way of uh, you know worshiping God and, and was being very pragmatic and you know if you keep trying to come up with all these different things people get tired and you know the, the, the pastors get worn out because they're trying to come up with all these things like every every single Sunday trying to keep people excited and keep people whipped up in a frenzy and keep people you know this is not your grandmama's church and all this different stuff you know and they were wearing themselves out and the church members were getting bored so to speak and, and you know because you set all these expectations for them it's not your mother's church you know we're not doing no hymns and you know, all this different stuff and all this stiff uh, stuff. You know, we're not doing all that anymore. But what they were doing were worshiping according to what was right in their own eyes. And they ended up floundering. I think that was one of the reasons why, because they ended up floundering, uh, you know, because of that. So when God is telling Israel this, he is telling them this because he doesn't want them to be like the pagans. The pagans, what did they do? They worshiped their gods, their false gods. By doing whatever was right in their eyes, which was being idolaters. And what it was doing was taking them away from worshiping the one uh, true God. So God wanted them to commit to one place of worship, to reject any human devised system of worship. Because man is prone. Man is prone to go astray. When we try to worship God man's way. It always happens that way. So verses 10 and 11. God has called him to implement. His worship plan. In the land. When you cross over the Jordan. Verse 10 again. And live in the land which the Lord your God. Is giving you. And he gives you rest from all your enemies. From 
around you that you live in security. It shall come that that place in which the Lord your God shall choose for his name to dwell. There you shall bring all that I command you. So who's choosing the place of worship? God is. He didn't leave it up to Israel. Why? Because he's God. And God has every right to command how he is to be worshipped. He has every, because he's God, he's sovereign. We can't question God and say, uh, I don't agree with that. <laughs> but that's what people do, right? When, they, when, when, when people try to worship God in their own way, they're basically telling God, uh, no, this is, the 20, this is the 2020s. You know, this is 2023. This is not uh, 2023 B.C. That's what we're that's what we're telling God. We're saying, God, you're I don't care how you want to be worshipped. We're going to worship you, uh, you know, this modern way. And what you end up doing is becoming like an Andy Stanley. You know, y'all probably know who Andy Stanley is, but he's been in the news recently for some comments that he made at a conference. He, he's he's basically going down the road toward apostasy with with some. He's not there yet, but he's 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 slowly getting there. Uh, first said we had unhitched from the Old Testament. Uh, he also said, he said that back in like 2018, 2019, something like that. Yep. And then, and then now he's talking about you don't you don't begin by saying the Bible says. You know, you're, 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 you don't begin by saying this is what the Bible says. So he's unhitching people from the Bible. You know, he says that's where our problems begin when you say the Bible says. No. The Bible does say because the Bible is the word of God. So you're saying you don't start with the Bible. Says you're saying you don't start with God because the Bible is the very word of God. So you're rejecting God. You're rejecting his word. You're rejecting his rule of authority, which is his word. When you say that. That's what you're doing. So this is why God said, I'm going to tell you where to worship me. I'm going to tell you how to worship me because he is God. He's God. And we worship God how he desires to be worshiped. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. You go to some churches or you watch some churches, they don't do any Bible reading at all. I've seen church services before where there's no, even the pastor when he gets up to preach, he may not reference one scripture, uh, a, a, a verse, and then just go off just teaching. Bible sitting there on the podium, the nice podium, not not a old old style wood one like this one. You know, it's got to be. And it's not about the modern podiums, you know, the metal kind. But they, their Bibles sometimes not even open, <laughs> you know. They, they just go around, just walking around, just talking extemporaneously, just whatever comes to their mind. Never going back to the scripture. Never reading scripture in t context. They don't do a responsive reading. They don't do any type of scriptural reading at all. They, they, they're, they're mostly singing. In a lot of churches like that, singing takes precedence. Like that in a lot of Pentecost churches uh, we were part of. You, you spend more time singing than hearing the word of God preached. You may spend 45 minutes singing 
songs and the preacher get up for 20 minutes. Then he's not even preaching the gospel at that. <laughs> so you're being so deprived of that. Why? Because they're telling God, I don't care about the way that you want to be worshipped. Israel had to be different. And so then he tells them they need to stay on track. Be careful that you do not offer your burnt offerings in every place that you see. But they had a God-ordained uh, script, basically. But in the place which the Lord chooses in one of your tribes, that's verse 14. And then it's let this, uh, these next few verses deal with meat eating. They ate meat. They were not vegans. However, <laughs> you may slaughter and eat meat within any of your towns as much as you desire, according to the blessing of the Lord your God has given you. So tell those vegans to turn to uh, Deuteronomy, to tw <laughs> Deuteronomy 12 and 15 for those, uh, for those vegans. The unclean and the clean um, may eat of it. As of the gazelle and as of the deer. Only you should not eat blood. So that was the only requirement. So basically they had to cook that meat. So I, I guess you can have a, a, a rare steak, right? <laughs> Kidding. You shall pour it out on the earth like water. Who here likes their steak medium like rare? Something like that, Daniel. So you're in sin against, you're in violation of this uh, right here. <laughs> you may not eat within your towns, the tithe of your grain. So forth and so on. So it's laying out the prescription for how they are to eat. So we say, man, what does this matter with anything? God had a prescribed way for Israel to live as his people. Separating them from the pagans. That's what it boils down to. He, he has a specific, just like when we were looking at the instructions for building the temple. All the or the tabernacle rather uh, the the tent of meeting, the meticulousness and the detail of every part of building the the uh, tabernacle when they were in the wilderness, we see all those detailed instructions. Why? Because God had a specific way that He wanted His people to worship Him. All the details about how the animals were to be sacrificed. Why? Because God had a specific way that he desired to be worshipped. So he's doing the same thing with this eating here. He has a specific way for them to eat. Why? Because they're holy. He says, verse 18, but you shall eat them before the Lord your God and the place that the Lord your God would choose. And that's for everybody, son, daughter, male servant, female servant, Levite. Take care that you do not neglect the Levites, of course, as long as you live in the land. So when the Lord your God enlarges your territory as he has promised you, and you shall say, I will eat meat because you crave meat, you may eat meat whenever you desire. If the place that your Lord your God would choose to put his name there is too far from you, then you may kill any of your herd of your flock which the Lord has given you. So this is showing grace right here. If they couldn't make it to that place, then they could take one from their own herd and still eat it. I thought the God of the Old Testament wasn't merciful and gracious. I thought he was mean and murderous and, and a bloodthirst. But even in, even in worshiping him, God is showing what? Grace. He's showing mercy to his people that if they were not able to make it to that place. 
And he said the unclean and the clean may eat of it. Only be sure the only requirement was what? Don't eat the blood. And he says, verse 26, skipping down here. The holy things that are due from you and your vow offerings you shall take. And you shall go to the place that the Lord uh, would choose. So for all the offerings, they have to do that. But as far as eating, they could eat at the place that was prescribed for worship or they could eat in their own place if they were not able to do it. Then he says them at verse 26 or 28, be careful to obey all the words that I command you. Again, that's that promise that it may go well with you and with your children after you forever when you do what is good and right in the sight of the Lord your God. So why is God telling them all this so that they may go well with them? They know what to expect. They know what to expect. And then verses, the, uh, the last section here. When the Lord your God cuts off before you the nations whom you go into dispossess. Again, they got the place, the central place to worship. God gave them those instructions. So now when God cuts these nations off from before them. Verse 30, take heed or take care that you be not ensnared to follow them after they have been destroyed before you and that you do not inquire about their gods saying how do these nations serve their gods <laughs> that I also may do the same you should not worship the Lord your God in that way for every abominable thing that the Lord hates they have done for their gods for they even burn their sons and their daughters in the fire to their gods. We see that now with abortion. Everything that I command you. You shall be careful to do. You shall not add to it or take from it. So. God doesn't even want them to be curious. About. Their idolatrous worship. Because what can curiosity lead to? It can lead to us doing it, looking into it. He does not want them to even be curious about what the idolaters are doing. I think Paul said in uh, I think it's Ephesians 5 about the, the, uh, the works of darkness that, that uh, of course, it should not even be named among the saints, but we, we shouldn't even talk about the things that they do in darkness. We shouldn't be curious about any type of idolatrous practices. Any forms of sinful lifestyles that that people are involved in, we it, it shouldn't even pique our curiosity at all, because it is an abomination to the Lord. It is uh, abhorrent. Because what happens when you do that? I like that word in ESV in verse thirty. Take care that you not be ensnared, like trapped. God wants us to use our minds to learn things. But God does not want us to learn godless and immoral false religious things. He doesn't want us to learn those things. Because especially for those of us who are, are weak in the faith. Now, you know, some people study the beliefs of false religions you know 
for instructional purposes and to, uh, you know, disciple people away from them or to, uh, you know, warn the church about what to look out for. If a person is strong in the faith, fine. Uh, you know, I do myself. I, I have a book on uh, different witchcraft practices that, that I uh, have in my library that I, I use for a sermon series I did uh, some years ago here, back in maybe 2013, 2014. Um, but by God's grace, I was strong enough in the faith to not, you know, be curious about, you know, those different practices and everything that, uh you know, different forms of, of, of witchcraft and uh, occultism and all those things. But those who are weak in the faith, I say, no, you don't need to, uh-uh, no. Because guess what? You have become ensnared. And that's what God was protecting Israel from. Don't even, don't even ask, why do they worship these false gods? You don't need to know that. I mean, why are you curious about it? <laughs> I guess that's the, that's the question to ask. So we have to ask those same questions. Things that are godless, things that are immoral, things that are, are false, falsely religious. We shouldn't even be curious. Why, why are we curious about those things? Why are we curious about immoral behavior? Why are we curious about godless behavior and godless ideologies? You know, because, again, those things can look evil is very alluring. It's always presented as alluring, right? It's, it, it can draw us away so easily. The next thing you know, we're we're down a rabbit hole, and we're wondering how in the world did did I get here? You start questioning everything that you believe. It's like going to college, same thing. What what these college? You know, looking at my son's. Uh, I mean, okay, the, the history world history class that he's in. I'm like, really? I mean, you can't get away from from woke nothing. I mean, it's just I'm like even the psychology class. Me and friend looking at some of the stuff. When uh, Audrey was taking uh, his psychology book, I was like, Lord, I see why some of these children go to school, college, and they come out atheists. Because they're being exposed to all these godless ideologies, godless professors, criminal justice, all, all these majors pretty much are promoting godless worldviews. And people who are not strong in their faith they can be swept away by that stuff and they they come out hating their parents you know hating their church and everything so excuse me so Moses ends, ends this section uh, basically where he began by exhorting them to obey all that God had commanded them to be careful to do don't add to it and take away from it it doesn't need to be improved upon at all God's word doesn't need to be uh, improved upon and you know what else doesn't need to be improved upon the gospel the gospel when we think about this passage right here as I said earlier these laws didn't change Israel's heart it exposed their the sin in their hearts that's what it ultimately did that's why when you read Joshua and Judges you see man these people just forgot everything. Why? Because this law, though it was good for them, did not change their hearts. What keeps us from idolatry? Worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. Worshiping him, making him the center of our worship. Are we going to struggle 
with idolatry? Yes, because again, our hearts are idol factories. But man, how do we fight idolatry? On our knees in prayer. We fight, our, we, we, we fight idolatry in the word by immersing ourselves in scripture. We, we fight it by encouraging one another towards the worship of God together, you know, as a church, as brothers and sisters in Christ. That's how we do it. We do it, why? How? With the grace of God that works in all believers. His grace works in all of us. To be able to say no to sin, no to idolatry. It's like the guardrails. Like, okay, I've been on this phone enough. I need to put it down. You know, if you, if you got an iPhone, if you have Android, uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> but uh, if you have an iPhone, it tells you what your average screen time for the week. I don't know if Androids do that or not, but I know iPhones do. Mine pops up every Sunday morning. You know, you spend such and such screen time, and it'll say an increase or decrease over the last last week. I can only imagine if a person's screen time report says like 12, 13, 14 hours. I'm like, you know, and then it breaks down like by apps and stuff like that. Mine is usually like podcasts because I listen to a lot of podcasts and everything when I'm riding back. But when I'm at work, I'm rarely on my phone because I just don't have time. But the point is, I guess I'm a better idolater than other people. Is that what that means? <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, but we have to say, Lord, help, help me to smash those idols in my life. You know, and if we're honest, we know sometimes when we've, like, done enough or too much. We know in our hearts, like, uh, this, this is just not right. This is just, I'm, I'm spending too much time on Facebook or, you know, Instagram or social media or in my case, Twitter. I don't even spend that much time on Twitter. I don't even post Twitter like I used to maybe uh, last year, year before last. But I still go on there every now and then. But not as much as I used to because I, I ask God to just give me a desire to not want to go on there so much. And that's a prayer to God when answer. Do you know that? You know, uh, especially if you're trying to, if you see it as an idol, you pray, Lord, take away this desire from me. And may I replace that time with, you know, reading my word, praying to you. That's a prayer that God will answer. That's a prayer that God will answer because what? It's, it's, it's pleasing to God that that we want to spend uh, more time with him in, in, in private worship. And when we come to church on Sunday mornings, Lord, take away any distractions that I have you know we always pray that to, to bind Satan because man he's going to come with him right he's going to come with him everything and the kitchen sink so you know I'm about to go to the end so um, God desires to be worshipped the way he desires to be worshipped may he give us the strength and wisdom to worship him as he pleases Amen. Amen.